0: And welcome to the no key Show. I am no me key Const. Joe Biden acts like he won this election in a landslide. Okay, maybe with the, with the popular vote. He's handing out patronage, putting corporate cronies in top jobs. He says things like, quote, help is on the way. Check that tweet out. This is, <laughs> there's nothing that he has done, though, that, helps us understand or shows that help is actually coming nothing he has done yet builds hope that real help is coming or even says that he really gets the profound pain of working people right now which brings me back to the election if you think about it this election was pretty much as close as they come millions of extra voters did turn out on both sides that's great turnout was wonderful but now that the counting is done we can see that Biden beat Trump by a total of, whoop, drum roll please, 44,000 votes in three crucial states, Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. That is even closer than the 80,000 vote vote margin by which Trump beat Hillary Clinton in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania in 2016. Joe Biden needs to recognize that he barely squeaked by Donald Trump in the middle of a hundred year pandemic an economic crash that Trump had clearly mishandled. That is hardly a transformative election. Joe Biden's Biden's job right now is to build a winning coalition for 2022 and 2024. So how is that going? So far, I don't see any sign that it's going anywhere at all. The Biden team seems more preoccupied with the revolving door, getting all those neoliberals, Obamaites, and the Clinton era has-beens back into play. But... That's the same look that the country rejected in 2016. This was not a landslide triumph that dumped Trump. It was a rejection of Trump, maybe. But if we are really going to move this country, we need to send a message that Democrats are more than just anti-Trump and more than just the empty gas tank of the neoliberal age. Biden has a shot to do that, but he's blowing it. Now, I can talk about how the progressives won down-ballot races and how the base will rise if given a reason. We have had all those conversations, and I am ready to say that Biden and Harris are not listening. So let me say this one more time in a different way. This country needs help that only the federal government can deliver. Only the government can come up with billions of dollars right now to make sure that vaccines are quickly and fairly distributed, distributed across the country. Only the government can put up the assistance to help small businesses and their workers make it to spring when we can hope that they can come back to work. Only the government can bail out the millions of people that are facing eviction in a month. Only the government can protect unemployed people from the Hobson's choice of paying their rent or feeding their family. Only the federal government can organize a green infrastructure plan that will get people working and curb climate change. If the government fails to do these things and a list of other things that we all know. The vaccine will come too late to save us from the economic carnage that will make the Great Recession, just, you know, 10 years ago, look like the happy days. Joe Biden's first 100 days will be the most important 100 days in the modern history of this country. They will set the course for working people and for the Democratic Party and for a generation or two or three to come. We must, 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 have an aggressive, bold program to protect workers in the short run until the vaccine is distributed and build a fair economy for the long run, which includes protecting workers. That will be a legacy that secures long-term Democratic majorities and fights off the future Trumps. On the other hand, a legacy of political infighting among factions installed by Biden in some misguided replay of team of rivals will leave us nothing. John Kasich <laughs> won't get us there. Neera Tanden, surprise, won't get us there. Nothing but a legacy of tears and unhealed country will be what's left. We have an extraordinary show today, guys. We have the one and only David Dole in the house. And then later, Jordan Zachary and Simon Rode are on to talk about today's news. There is a lot of news. So get ready. We'll be right back with David Dole. key show i'm gonna do something david knows too well make sure to smash that subscribe button and the like button you're not already joining us on patreon it's the holiday season if you are able to be extra generous if you're looking for a way to indoctrinate your family as i said yesterday i'm a great entrance point trust me there's always just like find one interviewer like oh that person seems like a normie democrat and then bring them in that way that's how we hook them in uh you can join for as low as five dollars a month that's it at Patreon.com slash TheNomiKeyShow. All right, I am so excited to have our pal David Dole on. He is, of course, the host of Rational National and just, you know, an all-around great progressive, uh, giving us a little bit of perspective from a distance, which I like because sometimes I think, I'm like, is it just us that's this crazy? Are, are, are we just taking it this way? But then I watch Rational National. I'm like, no, no, no. The whole world sees us as insane as, as we as we progressives see <laughs> the rest of the country right now. David, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, all right. There's a ton to talk about. I mean, I want to, I, I definitely want to get your take on some of these appointments by uh, Joe Biden, his, his administration, including your uh to being the head of OMB, the, the Office of Management and Budget, very, very important position. Uh has to be confirmed by the Senate. But I want to get like a little bit of a different take on this, because I yeah. think, you know, the work that you do, you know, you're not just covering um, politics in the states and and around the world, especially in Canada, but you have such a great view on like, how the media covers politics here, which is well needed, like really breaking it apart. And I'd love to play that clip. We played it yesterday, but I want to play it again of Neera Tandon uh, on C-SPAN, just like casually talking about, you know, gutting social security, something I, I, I imagine in Canada you, you would never come out of any politician's mouth. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to mention that. Um, can we roll that clip real quick?
1: Candidates uh, with these governors. Uh, and I think that there's other, you know, there are progressive governors like, O'Malley and Cuomo, who have taken a much more balanced approach on on budgets, where they have looked at taxes, as well as reforming programs and and cutting programs. And so I think that's that's the approach the American people are supporting.
2: There's a viewer here who wants you to take us deeper into entitlements uh, mm-hmm. by Twitter. Ms. Tandon, do you know what the president means when he says entitlements are on the table? Any specifics and anything you would endorse?
1: Yeah, I mean, so there are a range of entitlements um, that, you know, I think when we're talking about entitlements, we're talking about Medicare, Social security, Medicaid. These are programs that um, that uh, people receive support because of the status that they have so when after 65 you get funding from social security and medicare um actually it's gro- it's going getting older for social security but uh and you know the president has 300 billion dollars in his budget in cuts in medicare um, that comes on top of cha- cuts in medicare from um the affordable care act so he has put specific cuts in the budget already in Medicare, um, and they had savings in Medicaid in the past. Um, I think the question really is, if we're going to have a deal to address long-term deficit reduction, we need to put both entitlements on the table as well as taxes. It's unfair to ask only middle-class Americans to bear the burden of our deficit <laughs>
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> she cares so much about middle-class Americans, which is why she talked for five minutes about gutting everything that supports them.
3: Yeah, All right, exactly. David, what's your take? So this is the issue. This is what I, I feel like this week, especially for, for whatever reason, media framing has been a, a big topic on, on my channel. It's the, look at what she takes for granted there. She takes for granted that of course we got to cut entitlements, but we also have to consider raising taxes on the wealthy. Like, but that's the that's supposedly the left wing position this is this is the obama administration or or cap trying to represent the, the uh, obama administration i mean this is a far right framing the idea that of course we got to cut entitlements and you know maybe we'll you know consider raising taxes on the wealthy the, we have to always look at the way the media frames these issues before we even really answer the question and this is something very very few politicians are able to push back on that i mean neera Tandon just she agrees with cutting entitlement so obviously she's not going to push back on that framing but um i discussed uh, i forget who it was now but last week there was a moderate democrat who was who was on uh, uh, brian williams show on on msnbc and he actually pushed back against the idea that uh, that defunding the police hurt the Democrats, and this is a guy who doesn't even agree with defunding the police. But the way the question was framed from from Brian Williams at the time was that, "Oh, uh, defund the police? Of course, hurt Democrats. Now, what do Democrats do about it?" I mean. Right there you have the built-in framing of this this right wing perspective that immediately tells the audience that the correct position is to be against this. So what should Democrats do about, about that? Same with the entitlements. The correct position is of course to accept cuts to entitlements, but what else should we do? So it's
0: like it's the norm. Like like the, yeah, sky it's the norm, is blue. exactly. You know? yeah. Well, I mean what 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 I, I hear when I hear Brian Williams talk about defunding the police when there's absolutely no evidence that it hurt Democrats at all, just like Medicare for all, if anything, it helps Democrats. Yeah, um, I know they're scared of it, I think, you know, especially if they're trying to peel over you know, to, to, to centrists and, you know, normies, but, but it's about educating voters, just like they had to educate voters about Obamacare. I mean, they put a massive campaign around that. But what I hear is I hear Red Scare Tactics. Like if you just put in socialism and communism in place of every other thing that they're afraid of, it's just the same game. It's like the same playbook, you know, the lefties are, are 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 they coming? From, what are they coming for? They're to, to make your communities unsafe. Um, you know they're gonna. You're gonna pay all of your your hardworking money, the money that you've earned working very hard, uh, the, the the pennies you've you've raised. What are they coming to to, to support you? So it's it's yeah. just to me it seems very like uh, McCarthy era. You know. And you, he- you heard that during the campaign, of course. You saw with Joe Biden, of course, running away from, from socialism and adamantly declaring that he is not a socialist, and he beat the socialist. <laughs> the time when socialism's on the rise. If anybody had half a brain right now, they'd say, oh, these are issues that are growing in popularity. Maybe, maybe we should figure out how to expand on them and mm-hmm. maybe educate other folks who are not aware of what their definitions are. But uh, yeah. that's never the case. This is
3: also a-, a lesson, I think, as well, is that most people if you are able to explain something like what defund the police means simply realigning police funds and understanding that police budgets have have ballooned over the over you know the past uh, 10 20 30 years while there's been cuts to education cuts to healthcare cuts to infrastructure cuts to everything else if you're able to simply explain these these issues i think most voters are on board with the entire platform yeah. but the way the, the the media frames it, of course, they have a you know a vested interest in maintaining this this corporate control over politics, so they're never going to be accepting or or change the framing on the issues. But understand that these positions they're growing in popularity because they are the correct positions to take when you actually look at the facts, which is I think showing us that we are on the right side of history. That we are uh, all we have to do really is is be able to elevate our voices, get into places that. Um, have you know a lot of eyeballs and be able to inform people that normally are just stuck to the the mainstream uh, media narrative, and really it's not even just cable news. It's just this this cultural hegemony where we are all stuck in t- in this world, whether it's Hollywood TV shows, whatever that takes on this this uh, very capitalist framing on these issues, mm-hmm. and really doesn't even allow for a debate before the question or the the uh, the situation gets 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 put uh, put in front of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that's why I said I'd stop at the start of the show about uh, talking to your parents, because I do think that's really what's going to break. I mean, in traditional political organizing, um, for folks who don't know, you know, one of the ways that you, it's about messaging. It's no different on TV. It's no different in, in getting folks to watch independent media. It's all about like meeting people where they are, your friends and family, and coming at it from a hum- human perspective. Folks are more likely to learn and listen to their children, to their sisters and brothers, to their close friends than they are to someone calling them or some ad, which is always way more expensive. It's relationship. It's relational organizing, essentially. So I think like I mean, maybe that's just another aspect of this is how do we penetrate the folks who are watching MSNBC all day, and then I mean, because like once you get them in, they're like, "Oh, this is a way more thoughtful conversation than just two people arguing over, you know, body. What, what was the thing that Joy Reid did? The, the body movements. Oh, the the body um,
3: language expert body she had on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, well, what I found interesting about the Neurotanden clip in particular is that was C SPAN. Like, of all yeah. the places, that's, that's the norm at C SPAN. So it just shows you how bad it is. Um, Absolutely. But on this topic, you know, Ro Khanna, who is a congressman out of California, uh, represents uh, Northern California, part of Silicon Valley. He uh, went on Fox. I go on Fox. A lot of leftists go on Fox, and I'll go on all Fox shows. To be fair, I don't go on Laura Ingram for a reason. I don't think she plays fair. But Roe is unafraid. I, I I know him personally, and he doesn't care. He'll give everybody an opportunity to mm-hmm. beat him. In fact, before we play that clip, I used to host a show on SiriusXM, and I was I was in a debate with him on Twitter. This is a few years ago. Oh, We don't have the clip ready yet. Um, oh, just the tweet. Oh my god. So I he's he. I was debating him on Twitter, uh, and. He said, you know, Andre, he was a congressman-elect at the time, he said, I would love to come on your show and, and debate it uh, on the air. I said, let's do it. That is very unusual. And I think we need to have more leaders like that who are willing to have these conversations on all platforms, in front of all, all ears, And because you don't know. I mean, yeah, it, 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 defund the police just in particular, like how many libertarians are open to that because they want to defund everything? <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, actually, there there are. I mean, there was a the the i forget the first name but the uh the bundy ranch situation like this was like back in 2014 um those conservatives apparently one of those guys came out for black lives matter and for defund the police even though he's conservative he's a libertarian but he's like guys why don't we support this like we we are for defunding government the police is part of that (laughs) like so you can actually make that argument for for people who are actually honest in their in their ideology um but yeah, I mean, this when it comes to like these sorts of debates and that kind of thing, it's to me it's it's less about the person you're talking to, and more about the audience that's watching, because when it comes to Fox News, you know, Ro Khanna, I guess we'll we'll bring the tweet up, uh, uh, but he, he the was... tweet right
0: now we have it. Yeah. Sorry about that. You can go, go ahead. Go, keep going, David.
3: He's getting here. Yeah, he's getting crap about going on Laura Ingram's show, um, which is just it. There is nothing wrong with going on a cable news network that is the most popular most watched cable news network in existence the idea that Ro Khanna going on is somehow validating Laura Ingram I got news for you Laura Ingram is going to exist whether Ro Khanna is on there or not and there is a massive audience on they're not saying that you know they're all of a sudden going to turn into uh social democrats by watching Ro Khanna on on Fox News but you plant seeds you go on a, a show like Laura Ingram's show, you plant some seeds, you make an argument. Right there, he's, he's talking about uh, cutting the defense budget. So it, it's, it's really about Perfect what the content, yeah, it, it's about what the content of what you're saying is, as opposed to where you are. It's about who you're talking to and what you're actually discussing, and Ro Khanna discussing a policy that we should all support, and reaching an audience that normally doesn't get to hear that message, at least not uh, in the way that he would uh, discuss it. So, Yeah.
0: And what's really smart about that is uh, Laura Ingram's audience, in particular, is very like anti-establishment, Trumpian, right? So Donald Trump, this was a big part of his message was was making America anti-imperialist again and 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 pulling troops out and. And that, I think, appeals to her audience, which is a little bit more populist. Um, it's more conservative, socially conservative in other areas. But, you know, it's a perfect kind of argument where you, you know, you you really start to bring folks in, especially if the Republican Party post-Trump, at least the RNC, is distant from those types of politics, which I assume they might be, again, they yeah. might go back to neocon po- I mean, they basically were under Trump anyways, uh, for the most yeah. part. So I think it's really smart. I mean, it's it, it, so let's 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 like let's let's break this down a little bit, because on one hand, you have. Democrats, uh, Normie Dems, neoliberals, uh, media figures calling out progressives for going on Fox. And instead of being criticized for their message, I mean, he, he basically gave a strong progressive message, which is crazy to me. It's not like he went on and yeah. agreed with Laura Ingram. Mm-hmm. Um, he's being called out. And yet, Neera Tanden, by the way, he used to go on Fox all the time. <laughs> all the time. Uh, you know, the, there are folks who will. Argue for austerity and they don't get called out, but Rokana, yeah. of course, the progressive. Yes, yeah.
1: she'll
3: go on. She's aligned with their positions when it comes to austerity. <laughs> Rokana goes on to discuss, uh, you know, a progressive way forward, and he gets attacked. Yet Tandon gets, you know, a strong position in the Obama administration. I mean, the, the this is what we have to uh, have to understand. They're going to attack us no matter what. Uh, that's what it comes down to. They're, they're going to use the same arguments, or they're going to use an argument against us that they will not use against somebody on their who they view it to be on their own side, simply because it is a way to attack the left and a way to uh, protect or ignore whatever you know their side is is doing or not doing.
0: So there's this other side about it, about platforming, right? I, I've criticized Joe Rogan a lot uh, for platforming people that I think their audience grows by going on Joe Rogan and exactly. you know, they're like you're yeah, for censorship. First off censorship, go look up the definition. It's when the government <laughs> takes <Yeah. laughs> your platform away. Not when Nomi Keith says, "Hey, maybe you shouldn't have like KKK people on your show, the most yeah. popular show in America, mm-hmm. um, podcast in America." But You know, I've talked about that extensively, but on the other side, um, you know, it is important for us as on the left, at least, to platform each other because it's how you break through this corporate like algorithmic structure. You have been, you've had your show for a long time. Um, How do you see things shifting right now, uh, as especially as these monopolies are basically revolving into the Biden administration?
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I mean, on the issue of of just you know uh, platforming, what you were saying is is exactly right when it comes to. What Joe Rogan does um, is he will bring on people that don't have an audience yet, and he will give them a platform to espouse their BS. And then they get this massive following, you know, get book deals and, and are able to push out their message to an audience that uh, that they wouldn't have had otherwise. When it comes to Fox News, this is a, a network that is massive. Um, and they already have this, this built-in audience that generally only hears a certain message and by bringing people or by having people on like Ro Khanna, who's able to tap into that, that's, it's, it's a different way of uh, or a, a different audience that normally he would not be able to reach out to. And politicians, you know, in general, their their job is to speak to people that don't normally agree with them and to try and get them on board. And um, yeah, when it comes to, you know, using our platforms, I think it's, we have to kind of work all work together and support each other and share each other's work because we are up against basically endless money. I mean, coming from these massive organizations and you're seeing now them trying to, um, uh, begin to invest a little more in online. You have Peacock now, uh, MSNBC or NBC launching Peacock. I will say though, but it, <laughs> the thing with Peacock, it's, it's funny to me because they, they get criticized for our MSNBC gets criticized for, um, essentially just being, uh, you know, a, a, an arm of the democratic party, just being, you know, establishment centrist, conservative, but then they'll have, they'll have Peacock, but they'll put all, the poet Mehdi uh, Hassan, who is a little more, you know, to the left progressive, Sam right. Cedar, of course, great show course, on Peacock, <laughs> but they, they, they almost use Peacock in a way to try and, and disregard any criticisms that, that are lobbed at them for not having on people on MSNBC, like, yeah. uh, like Corey Bush or like Jamal Bowman on, on a regular basis. So it's, it's a way to sort of deflect any of those criticisms and say, hey, no, we, we bring these, these progressive voices on, just check out our app, that I mean, <laughs> go nothing go wrong down with the down app, the hall
0: but it, behind the closet, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the other closet, under the bed. That's our, that's the show. Yeah. We found it. It's nothing against the app, morning. but obvious.
3: <laughs> <laughs> nothing against the app, but obviously, it's going to have a smaller audience than yeah. than the uh, than their network does. But um, yeah, this is why we all have to work together. I mean, and it's it's also why it's good that you know you get to be you get to be on Fox News and you're able to push that that uh this discussion out there because places like CNN and MSNBC will they will simply ignore your voices like yours because their their take on the issues is that the democratic party is is the left that's the left to them and then you have trump on the right and and whoever supports trump that's the right wing and then you know moderate republicans that support everything trump does in terms of policy but are you know maybe a little uh, criticize him uh, rhetorically about some of the things that he may, he may say um, that that's considered to be the center as well as, you know, centrist or, or, uh, or conservative Democrats are. So they completely ignore the left when it comes to their conversation. So we need to be able to utilize our platform wherever we can and be able to spread our message around and support each other, because that's the only way we're really going to be able to get our message out there
0: it it really is just classic solidarity i mean yeah a few years ago um as you know very well before all the cable news networks went into the space of of youtube you know they were getting like like 12 video 12 views on a video and and what happens now, and I'm sure everybody who's watching right now knows this when they go on YouTube is like, there'll be a suggested, I, I don't I, you know, I never watch. I any mean, of the MSNBC clips, but it's always like MSNBC at the top, corporate media at the top because, yes. because they basically bought their way in the algorithm. I mean, that is yes. what is verified media or whatever you want to call it, um, media partners uh, that are pushed to the top. And it's just harder for leftist shows to break through now. I mean, listen, we... We launched right before COVID. I could tell you a, a million stories about how hard it is to build a show when everyone's just like, uh, we're no longer listening to podcasts, and we don't know what our media consumption habits are. But yeah. that's also why it's so important that we act in solidarity. And I, I just, I want to say thank you, personally, just say thank you because you always highlight my Fox clips, and I appreciate it because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, am I wasting my time going on? I'm going to be on tomorrow morning. Not at all. <laughs> I'm like I'm anyways and then you put a clip up I'm like okay this is it was worth it and so
3: Yeah I mean this is what and and what you're saying about YouTube is exactly right they so in 2016 they changed the algorithm because of the criticism from about the fake news or that there was fake news being pushed out which I mean there was being fake news being pushed out by Facebook and 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 Twitter and YouTube but they um, the way that the response to that by YouTube was to simply elevate what they call authoritative sources so corporate media, (laughs) MSNBC, um, CNN, Fox news. They will, uh, if you watch YouTube now, it's completely different from where it was five years ago. The algorithm would, like you say, you're watching one of my clips. The algorithm would um, push you towards uh, your show but now it'll push people towards MSNBC or CNN or uh, Trevor Noah or Stephen right, Colbert. <laughs> yeah. Or, or even actually Joe wrote, I get all the time. I get, I get pushed towards Joe Rogan show, which is really weird to me. Um, well, but he's, it's
0: the- he's Spotify. I mean, he has a huge, yeah. huge, huge corporate deal.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he's, he's in the, I guess the, you know, the accepted narrative when it comes to uh, how corporate media views these issues. Cause he brings on so many conservatives. So they, YouTube, because of that, it's been it's been so much uh, or a lot tougher now for new channels to really start um, on YouTube and be able to grow. Uh, Luckily, you already had a voice. You've been on television. So I think it kind of gave you a little more of an an in than maybe somebody who's completely independent uh, would have had. But it's still, as you've seen, it's still tough to be able to um, grow a show in this sort of media environment where the algorithm constantly is working against you.
0: So while you're at it, just like make sure to smash that like and subscribe if you haven't yes. already. And if you, <laughs> I'm sure you're already subscribed uh, to David's show. But, you know, the weird thing about this, I would be curious to see if they could do, somebody could do some sort of assessment. Like, well, how much fake news was actually eliminated? Because I see that Ben Shapiro is the most popular show on Facebook yeah. right now. And I see all of these far right uh, wing shows, you know, okay, Alex Jones was taken down, congratulations, but... It doesn't seem like they've really eliminated the verifiably, like this is false information. I mean, you can have commentary like you and I are having right now in its opinion, but there is, I know at the beginning of COVID, they were cracking down on this, but it just seems like they're being boosted more and more. I mean, not like we should be surprised. There's a history of this, you know, through decades of, of pushing corporate media, but it would be interesting if someone could do an assessment of that because it doesn't seem like they've actually cracked down at all. I mean, unless I missed something, have I?
3: Yeah, no, they haven't really. So, in terms of um, like, I, I'm definitely against the uh, censorship, even corporate censorship. In terms of actually just full on taking down a show like Stephen Crowder's show, even though I think it's complete garbage, um, I think that it. it I, I think it should be there should be a place simply because if you start policing people that are not just breaking the law, like the way Alex Jones was, basically calling for violence. Um, if you start trying to police speech, then I think that becomes a serious issue on, on YouTube. But the way the algorithm works, even if the right uh, people like Ben Shapiro or, or uh, Crowder, even if the algorithm doesn't push you towards them, which I think it still does, but even if it doesn't, they have billionaire backers that regardless of, regardless of what they do, regardless of the views on their, on their channel, or regardless of, of who sees their content, whatever, they're getting paid no matter what. When it comes to our content, we don't have you know these massive angel investors sending us you know a million dollars a month to be able to run our show. Like this is all independent stuff, so we have my, to. My uh, life was
0: forty dollars. You know, they, they lose <laughs> sets. I'm always yeah. like, oh, their sets are amazing.
3: <laughs> yeah, I know they have full sets. They have crews. They have. Yeah. The, the, their shows are set up like a cable news show because they have this sort of money invested into them. These shows would not exist without those those billionaire investors behind them. Like people people think that. Oh, these are, you know, independent, you know, right-wing shows like Ben Shapiro that they just, they work their way up. No, that he's had people back in the entire time. Same with Dave Rubin, same with uh, Steven Crowder, all the big, all the big names on the right have had these, these big donors behind them. Meanwhile, the left, we actually have to struggle and work together and be able to get our voices out there by, by sharing our stuff and, and, um and just making a, a home for ourselves and making it also, you know, inviting, invite people in. Don't make it seem like a, you know, a, a special club where if you disagree with me, then you're an idiot. Like, no, like that's, this is, this is also it, when it comes to, um, how we approach content and how we, uh, even like naming conventions, when it comes to naming like the the title on, on our, on our videos, it has to be it's almost done in a way where it's almost clickbaity. Like the title is just to get a new audience in. But then when you deliver the content, you're giving them like, you know, the details when it comes to say, like, I, I had a video go out about, um, uh, the democratic party criticizing Barack Obama or or members of the party criticizing Obama over his comments on defund the police. And the title of it is very clickbaity. I mean, it's about the drama, but then I get into the details about what defund the police means and the the stats behind how it actually helped the democratic party. So we have to be able to, you know, almost use the algorithm to our advantage because it works against us.
0: But it's still, I mean, you still do everything on your own. I don't think people understand how much work this is. And I, I, I like pulling back the curtain because First off, I think it's important for folks to understand how important it is, especially as we face the end of the year, to support independent media, left media, and I mean independent media. Like, take a look, like who is corporate backed and who isn't. Uh, The independent left media really uh, is struggling right now to push through these algorithms as they're 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 cracking down in all ways. Um, You know, they don't have. I I used to go on CNN every single day, almost every single day, up until two thousand six, middle of two thousand sixteen, right before the general election. They're, we're gone. We're not on there anymore. They will have to have a voice on during a a primary to appear to be progressive, but of course you're extremely outnumbered and MSNBC, you know, sometimes they have a left voice on, sometimes they don't. Sam Cedar comes on late at night and they're like, there's your left voice. See that's Sam.
3: <laughs> Once every two um, months he's, he's invited on the show.
0: <laughs> he is exactly. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, that's why this is so important. It's like when you pull, pull back the curtain, the amount of work that, I mean, how much work do you put into a video? Like you're, you're, you're cutting uh, a and lot. editing. I
3: mean, just yeah. to, uh, I, I, I will spend an hour on a thumbnail, and I'm not joking. I will spend like thinking about the, the 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 title, and then the subheading, and then which images I will use, and the way the person looks in the image. Like I, <laughs> I'm very meticulous about how like uh, and the editing as well. I'm very particular about like if there's uh like because my stuff is largely pre-recorded. Sometimes I'll screw up like reading a quote, so I'll make sure to cut out you know like the the, the pause in between just to make it a little shorter. Like so th- there's yeah um twelve hour days at least uh is is, is my life um but
0: if you don't go on one day we were talking about this before oh yeah you can screw up your algorithm
3: yeah you can't really take a break because if you take if you take the weekend off then it screws the algorithm up and youtube thinks you're no longer putting content on every day so they stop pushing out the notifications for your videos people stop watching your videos, so you have to play catch up i went on vacation uh a year ago for about a week um I came back, the channel was dead. Like <laughs> I had to like revive it over the next two months so that it came back to life because just leaving for a week, I think I, I, I tried to do like a live stream while I was on vacation. I, I really shouldn't have, I should just take a break, but even, even just doing that, like it's, it, it wasn't enough because, because there weren't, there weren't videos being put out every day. Like I had going out every day. Um, it just kills the channel and this when you're, when you're the only person working on the channel, it becomes a pain because you really can't take a day off. This is why now I, I shoot um I have live streams now on Fridays and I, I chop that up into separate videos for the weekend. otherwise I'd be working seven days a week and I would just be going crazy. I mean in, in this kind of work you have to when it comes to politics, you need a mental break or you're going to go insane.
0: It was crazy enough. Like, it, I felt that way on cable news. Like if I missed one day of not being on a show, if they didn't call me, sometimes there was breaking news. Sometimes, I mean, that every time there was a terrorist attack, like everybody was just backbenched because they'd have all the terrorist experts on and, and you know, it, this was a very common theme. But I would always worry, oh, no, they're going to forget about me and they're never going to call me back. And it becomes this addiction. And yep. it is an addiction because if you don't feed into it, then they forget about you. And, you know, you get exhausted, you take a break. I went on vacations and they would call, call me on my vacation and I would you know, be visiting my grandparents and they'd jet me off to, you know, Florida. They'd jet me off to Miami to go shoot something. And on Christmas Day, uh, New Year's morning, I can't even tell you how wow. many times, because you're addicted to it. So yeah. The new cycle in particular feeds you have to feed into it this way. But then on top of it with the algorithm um, and being independent, it just makes it so much worse. And I, I I think this is an important conversation for folks to really see what's happening. I, we have a team and I'm really grateful because I don't know how to do anything other than <laughs> talk about politics and even that all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for you, I I'm, I'm I really do admire like how much dedication um how much you pour into this in a capitalist system fighting capitalism i mean this is what makes it so so much more important so well
3: the thing is too i also enjoy it like if i did not I, I used to work in in broadcast news behind the scenes i was an editor so i i enjoy editing videos i enjoy all the behind the scenes stuff as well as being in front of the camera so yeah if i didn't enjoy what i did it would or I would need a team because there's no way I'd be able to do uh, everything. But I mean, luckily I had that experience uh, before I actually went in front of the camera, so it helped as well. And just a, a, a side note, it's, it was the exact same thing in broadcast news as well uh, as a freelancer working in, in right. the industry. If you if they call you and you can't come in to, to edit videos, you know, that night, then they're going to pass over you the, the next time. I mean, the, really, the whole industry is, is screwed up <laughs> in that way. Like, there not has to be another way to do it.
0: A good chunk of I mean, I don't know what it's like in, in, in Canada, but a good chunk of it isn't unionized. If you're on air talent um, yeah. unless you're actually a contributor to the network they're not paying anymore and there's some weird rules like on fox you can't go on more than once a day on one of their like you can get fox Business fox channel but like you can't go on more than once a day because for some weird reason they're actually more cautious about that than cnn is where they just make you sit in the green room for four hours <sighs> um, i mean it's it's it's
1: Yeah.
3: I had experience in, in radio doing that as well, that they don't pay people. I I guess, I mean, I was kind of surprised, but I mean, I was on a radio station, um, like in the mornings on, on this morning show, it's very like large company owns the radio station. Um, and they just don't pay people that that go on as guests. And I was like, okay, like, but I'm, I'm literally like, I have to drive 40 minutes to get here. I have to, I have to pay for parking. They won't cover parking either. I have to pay for parking (laughs) to go in. And it's, it's like for a 15 minute spot. And they won't even cover the parking. Like it's the the whole industry has, uh, again, it's capitalism. The money all goes to the top. It goes to the executives and no one else gets a cut. It's, it's disgusting.
0: The the big companies can definitely afford it, especially if people are coming out regularly and it's all about like, they know that they're preying on people's egos and their potential of getting a contract. And they know that like, if they're difficult, they're not going to get a contract. It's, it's really, it's flat out exploitation. Um, But I mean, I guess this is why actors unionize too. Same exact thing. Mm-hmm. David Dole, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thanks for having me on. I love being on the show. It's great talking with you.
0: Always. And wait, any news coming out of Canada? Are you guys
3: <laughs> I mean, there's always news. What's so what's so unfortunate is uh I mean, I started this channel because I enjoy covering American politics, but because I'm Canadian, Canadians sort of expect me to always cover what's going on in Canada. It's like I do. Uh it's like once a week but it's not really my passion. And I, I have. I was feel embarrassed or, or bad about it's telling Canadians that it's like, I, I will cover this stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically just, you know, COVID stuff, uh, we're in a second You're wave right now. Much
0: better, right? Yeah. We're, know. we're
3: managing a lot better, but it's, it's still, uh, I mean, we're in a second wave. Like everybody else is basically I mean, the U S is now in like the, the third wave never went off a second wave. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure how you guys are managing down there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. There's always stuff happening with COVID. It's just, uh, it's, it's always weird comparing the two countries because it's because I'm so into the American news cycle. Viewing Canadian news uh, is just, it's not. It's just, it's different. I mean, it, there's a different level of what you expect in Canada compared to the U.S. So you really have to go into a Canadian story just viewing it from a Canadian perspective because one of the issues with our politics here. Is that it's always compared to what's happening in America, and as long as we're like a little better than what America has, then everyone's content. But when, when in reality, that should not be the bar. But that's that's, that's how like it works. That's like
0: Democrats to Republicans. As long as yeah, Democrats ex- are a little exactly. bit better than the straight up fascists, then we're yeah.
3: okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: You're like as long as there's no you know austerity. It's it's insane. Yeah. yeah. I. I... <laughs> um. Well, anyways, go check out the Humanist Report as uh... Rational National. Oh my god! What am I talking about?
3: What am I doing? Mike Figueroa is a friend of it. It's okay. My earpiece is- <laughs> also check <laughs> out Mike like Figueroa's show, The Humanist show. Report. <laughs> hang, on,
0: hang on. I like hit my head and my earpiece came out. Jesus. Rational National, which of course I'm subscribed to and I watch regularly. Go check out The Rational National. Also The Humanist Report if you want yes,
3: to. <laughs> Mike does a great show.
0: <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Uh, David Toll, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to fix my earpiece and I will Thanks be right back on. with our great panel. Hope to see you soon on the show whenever. And if not, uh, happy holidays. Hey guys, welcome back uh, to the Nomi Key Show, not the Crystal Ball Show, the Nomi Key Show. (laughs) At least the Humanist Report got a shout out today, even
1: though
0: they weren't on. All right, uh, crazy, crazy, crazy news happening. Uh, we are so happy to have our reoccurring panel, a lovely panelist, Jordan Zakarin. He runs the Progressives Everywhere newsletter. And of course, Simon Rode, who is not only a former organizer for Bernie Sanders in 2020 and a socialist writer, but he is part of Team TNS. And we are so grateful to have him. How are you guys doing today?
2: Doing good, doing good, all things considered.
0: <laughs> all things considered. All right, so I'm going to put my glasses on because I'm going blind right now um, so I can read. Uh, So Obama has some really strong words right now um, about defund the police. Why do you think, I I just want to start with this. We can put the clip up in a second of, of what he said, but why do you think Obama is so adamant about chiming in about topics that, Frankly, I mean, it seems like the Democratic Party is doing all that work. And d- Defund the Police to me is it, it does seem like a leftist issue. I mean, is he just there to kind of divide the left and divide, uh, you know, the, the, any sort of African-American support or BLM support? Jordan, what do you, th- you think is going on with Obama?
4: Well, I think Obama likes to be smarter than everyone. You know, he likes to tell the left that he does. He likes to tell the left, oh, you know, you, you need to, guys, you guys need to get in line. You need to, you know, trust us, the experts, the, the people who work for Bob Rubin and the people who bailed that Citicorp. Uh, he, likes to, he likes to be the expert in those sorts of things. He likes to tell, like he said elsewhere in his book, that, you know, uh, rap music is all about bling. And maybe in like 2000, I don't know, 2001, that was the case. Uh, he's very out of touch, and he, but he likes to be the smarter guy. I don't understand why he thinks that criticizing to fund the police and he's already gotten pushback from Corey Bush, Jamal Mo- Jamal Bowman and a whole lot of people. Let's put uh, those tweets up. Just
0: I think we have them ready yeah, for Corey Bush. Sure. Go, ahead,
4: go ahead. I don't know why he thinks that's gonna make a difference to the people who said that if it did cost some Democrats their seats, these Democrats weren't gonna do anything about the police anyways. And so what do the activists care? You know what why would they care? They're actually making a difference in a lot of cities. You know, a lot of cities are you know they're changing the way they fund things. They're diverting funds. Austin is happening a lot of places. So Obama, I don't know, he likes the I don't know if he likes to pick on people. He likes to be the smarter guy, but now he's just out of touch. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's, that's a, a good point. I mean, it seems like he's, he's out of touch. That was my first take on it. But let's play the clip really quick of, of Obama. I guess you can use a snappy slogan like, defund the police, but you know you've lost a big audience the minute you say it, which makes it a lot less likely that you're actually gonna get the changes you want done. But if you instead say, let's reform the police department so that everybody's being treated fairly, you know, divert young people from getting into crime. And if there's a homeless guy, can maybe we send a mental health worker there instead of an armed unit that could end up resulting in a tragedy. Suddenly a whole bunch of folks who might not otherwise listen to you are listening to you. So the key is deciding, do you want to actually get something done or do you want to feel good among the people you already agree with? I Simon, this reminds me of when Hillary Clinton, Uh, was like I'm a progressive who gets things done
2: yes it's this idea of like quote-unquote pragmatism which it's just another way to like to squash progressive fights you know like like he says that this is an issue of messaging so that he doesn't have to admit that he actually doesn't support the like specific policy proposal of like actually cutting funding for police departments you know he talks about oh you know reforming police departments so that they're i would i don't remember what he just said but like you know but like it, it didn't have anything so they, to so they just wash off the racism
0: just wash it off like all they have to do is just take a bath hold hands sing kumbaya that's the reform and it's all better guys it's not like there's an right. organization of of racism happening go ahead jordan
4: the thing the thing is that people started doing this and started being activists and started fighting against this because nothing was changing under a lot of democrats You democrats right. run these cities it's not as if minneapolis is republican los angeles is not republican eric you know they're Mayor there may act like a Republican, but he he is not a Republican, technically. You know, New York City certainly not a Republican city, uh, not run by Republicans anyways. And so if Democrats actually did something about these things, they wouldn't have to worry about these hashtags and these slogans hurting them. You know, and again, I don't know that they hurt them, but if you actually get your job done and you're actually helping people and you make a difference and you stop your cops from murdering people with impunity on the street... You do not have to worry about a little bit of, you know, inconvenient messaging during your campaigns.
0: It, it's interesting you mentioned um, Minneapolis. Fifty four percent of Americans thought that burning down the precinct of the Minneapolis Police Department after the murder of George, George Floyd was justified. Paging President Obama. That's that's I mean, I think that's a more aggressive stance than defund the police. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do want to talk about this just a little bit more because it seems like the Democrats message about this campaign was just about that message. Like, Oh, it was the progressive message that made the margin between, uh, which we started off the show with, uh, Joe Biden and and Donald Trump down to 40,000 votes versus the 80,000 that divided Hillary Clinton and and Donald Trump in 2016 with swing States. It was just the message was the progressive message. Simon, you know, you've, you've been an organizer, um, I listen to what Obama is saying and I'm listening to what these Democrats are saying. And I'm like, oh, you guys aren't organizers. You've never, have you knocked on a lot of doors? Because, you know, you meet people where they are. Yeah, there can be, you can you can ostracize folks with certain messages. But if you're trying to expand, it's about educating through that message. It's, was that your experience when you were on the Bernie campaign and going out into communities yeah. that may have been foreign to Bernie socialism?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you heard the same thing that Obama is just talking about now about the the issue being the message <clears throat> was the same as what a lot of people were saying during the primaries about Medicare for all. Like this is a this is an alienating phrase. Like maybe we shouldn't talk. We should talk about universal health care. We should like talk about something that's a little less specific than actually nationalizing health care. Um, but when I'm like door to door talking to working class people, um, you know, I. I, I start by asking. This is like any any organizer is going to do the same thing, right? You start by meeting people where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. Listening to their problems. What they, you know, what's their experience with the healthcare system? Not great, right? And then you can explain to them how this is actually going to help them, specific because because and this is the real this is the root of it. And Cory Bush pointed it out in that tweet that you showed is that defund the police, much like Medicare for all, is not a slogan. It is an actual it is an actual policy demand. Um, and and that, is, that is what is being, I think, intentionally obscured uh, in, in these sorts of complaints because, um, you know, Barack Obama has this incredible platform, right? Like, he has so many people who, who love him and listen to him, and he could be using that space to actually right. educate people on why, like, policing in the United States is, results in all of this tragic violence. He also has an
0: organization called My Brother's Keeper, which he founded after, uh, I think, maybe while he was in office, um, to to specifically address Black and brown communities and, and men, um, but it, again, it, it puts the it, it puts the burden on the individual rather than the system. Um, you said you said slogan, and I, I want to highlight this piece that Amber Frost uh, has written in *Jackman* called "The Problems of Hashtag Activism." The piece gives a review of different movements driven by viral hashtags and asks the reader to consider how these movements demand uh, to control power versus how they gain visibility. It's an argument that. Uh, we basically need more than hashtag me to movements to achieve victory in important leftist causes and that winning entails deeper political, uh, political education and community community organizing uh, than a hashtag advances. So uh, the show, a lot of the show is about messaging and framing and, you know, we wanted to have this conversation at this moment because basically because of what Obama said and, and just seeing how we're getting into these cycles, these repetitive cycles. So Jordan, you know, you run a newsletter, you're, you're extremely online. Um,
4: <laughs> okay.
0: I am too. It's okay. Yeah, all are... <laughs> um, This is the audience for it. It's actually, <laughs> I mean, how do you take this? It, it, hashtags are important. You know, they raise awareness around a lot of issues, including me too. But at what point does it actually disrupt power structures? How do you do that?
4: You know, it's I think it's really interesting. I think a lot of what she wrote in the piece is very true. You know what she she highlighted and what the book highlighted, highlighted uh, unwittingly making the argument against itself is that so many of the campaigns that worked, quote unquote, were about shaming corporations and them pulling the plug on something or changing a decision because they were afraid of losing money. Uh, and it's much easier for a consumer to just not spend money at a corporation or to support, you know, some company or brand or whatever it is, than it is to make a difference in terms of policy or who gets elected or doesn't get elected. I think like what we saw this year, just incredibly. So 2020 Dem- and I had a piece in this in the Washington post is that Democrats didn't go to door to door that much, you know, Simon talked about meeting people where they're at and they didn't do that this year. Right. And part of it was COVID uh, you know, I understand that they could have done it. They could have found ways Republicans found ways to do it. Uh, There there
0: were some that did do it, by the way.
4: Yeah, there were some, but they had had to break basically an agreement they had with the national and state parties. They had to say, uh, you know what, I'm actually going to campaign. And so I think what we saw is that people are aware online, you know, if you have a conversation with someone, uh, you know, an older person or someone who doesn't really understand necessarily, you know, what Me Too was or Black Lives Matter. Or, you know, you look at what happened with, um, you know, Elliot Page yesterday, right, Mm -hmm. talking about how trans people are coming out and, you know, how that conversation has certainly shifted. I think it creates an awareness but that's kind of where that ends, and so unless mm-hmm. you're using that awareness to do something out on the streets, it's not going to really work. You know, so if you look at Black Lives Matter, right, there was all these marches, and you used um, you know Instagram or Twitter to follow where they were, but then you've got to actually go and join the march. That's I think that's the big difference.
0: That's right, and then you also have to hold lawmakers accountable. I guess that's where a hashtag could possibly tie in. Is is how do you take the march? How do you take the movement side and then turn that into policy? And um, I mean, I, my, Simon, what do you think of this piece? What do you think of Amber Frost's take on this?
2: I actually, I really liked her take on this. I thought it was you know, very thoughtful. And um, like she quotes the book, um, the hashtag activism book, right? That uh, where the authors are arguing that Twitter's become a really good platform for activists to quote, uh, advocate, mobilize, and communicate, um, which to me, sort of made me chuckle, you know, thinking about the, the old socialist slogan of like, uh, educate, agitate, organize, um, and how a lot of those things aren't actually happening through the social media activism. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, got me thinking a lot about like, why is that that people still, you know, despite not having a lot of wins, uh, continue to to push through specifically, like, primarily social media. And I think that, that a lot of people don't feel like there are a lot of other avenues right. for them. Um, they don't really know what else to do. And I can completely understand that. And I think I think honestly, that that's more of a failure of, of us on the left, you know, failing to, to communicate to people about the power that they have in their workplaces or, um, or our failure to build strong institutions for social change that right. um, stand outside of social media. And I think that is the point that Amber really made really well in that article um is saying that we need to build institutions we need to because like twitter is on the decline and we're also speaking to a very small audience and like what we really need to do is build things in the real world actual organizing um but it's it's hard
0: and not at the helm of of an algorithm, as we discussed with David, not at the helm of, of, of I mean, you're seeing Twitter executives now who are going to be in the, the White House. Uh, who knows? I mean, if we start to pressure on certain things, does that mean that the algorithm's going to get tweaked and certain people are going to be pushed out? Who knows? It's really up to them to decide. Um, I think you make a great point, though, because it's... I was, somebody interviewed me the other day about uh, just where the movement is and 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 how I would describe progressives because they're trying to define it for the mass public. And I said, well, I don't look at the progressives or the left or anything as like left versus right. I think of the progressive era. I think of what the the at a moment when when working people, immigrants were being crushed, working and poor people were being crushed. They didn't have Twitter. They had they were pamphleting and leafleting and and unions uh, were under attack and monopolies were extremely powerful. And somehow folks were able to organize in, in, in many cities across the country uh, by 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 building structures and organizing locally. And, you know, we can go into, a, into depth about this, but there's always a path. And I think if we become too reliant, what happens is there's this like there's this um, yeah, I mean, we, we've all probably read about the serotonin kicks. You tweet something out, you get 500 retweets, you feel like you achieved something. Mm-hmm. but did you you might have you might have educated folks you might have broken a story you might have inspired somebody to do something out there on the ground you might have encouraged folks to show up at a protest you might have shared a video of of injustice that's happening but there's a serotonin kick that comes with that and it's it's really hard to get off of it just like it's really hard to get off of the algorithm uh feeding the algorithm bubble
4: i think i think we've also got like, gone past shame you know the last four years of trump like The things that they're saying, right, that Trump says every single day we've become become numb to it. The media has become numb to it. There is no shaming anymore. You know, Republican officials, David Perdue is not going to step down because he just he traded 2,500 stocks uh, during his time and six years in office. There is no shame there. Kelly Loeffler has like a billion dollars. She says the most racist things possible. There's no shame. So if social media is used to shame, that doesn't work anymore. That's over. And in terms of digital communication, democrats love to do texting they love to do emails they love to do calls which i guess is like a nice component of things but you know, i was talking to the head of unite here a couple of weeks ago a uh, detailer and he said my members aren't getting texts they're not tweeting you know they're not doing those things and those are the sort of people that need to rise up and you know demand change and create change and to elect people that are going to change things so you know yeah. a it's an algorithm and b like so many people aren't part of that
0: Yeah, I think it's important because working people, I mean, my one criticism I had of that AOC interview she did about the election, the postmortem, um, it was just, it wasn't, a, I shouldn't even say criticism. It was just sort of a, a difference of opinion, is that I don't think it was so much about how many ads you bought online. Um, first off, Facebook cut off a lot of ads. It's not that the DCCC is not pouring money into online. They're not, but but that's not why they lost. It's uh, It really does, I mean, the other side of her argument was the deep organizing. It's, it's really meeting working people where they are. You're not... I live in AOC's district. I'm perfectly aware of the socialism that is infused in my neighborhood, right across the street from our district, I should say. Uh, I'm perfectly aware of the, the socialism all around me. But I also grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I understand that COVID is not a reality there right now, and they're spiking at 9%. And it's a working class town, and folks are hurting, and they're stuck inside. And you know, you have to meet people where they are. Um, yes, they might be online, but they're not spending the time online that like all of us are. Uh, it can be an organizing tool. It's really powerful, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, yeah, you gotta actually, uh, talk to folks. I think the, the, the unite here example is perfect. We have to lean more on unions and less on private organizations, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Final thoughts. Anything else?
4: Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I think that like we're going to see in Georgia. It's a nice, you know, a nice example of what's going to happen. Not that, you know, I'm uh, in love with John Ossoff or anything like that, but <laughs> it'll be nice to see uh, if Democrats actually get out on the street and Republicans are like demanding, almost demanding that they win the election. They like just saying, oh, don't vote, it's not safe, don't vote, it's not safe, we hate the Republican governor there. If Democrats don't get out there and if you know, nonprofits don't get out there and, yeah. you know, and they, they just spend time texting and you know running ads for millions of dollars, I think we can officially say the defund the police thing and all that without the reason why uh, right. Democrats lost.
0: It's almost like it's the reason that they always lose, they spend all their money on ads, digital yes. or whatever, it's the I, ads.
4: <laughs> I, I looked at a lot of the ads on Facebook after you know, as he said okay. what she said, and to some degree, it's not even the investment, it's what they said in those ads. Cal Cunningham, who was like a human, he's like a big and tall mannequin, granted sentience. He, um, his, all of his ads were just like, we're hitting the deadline. Help us, help us raise yes. money. Help us raise money. It was like a clock about raising money. You know, what, what was it called? uh One of the Florida representatives who lost, it was just about, uh, I helped get $600 extra on your unemployment. It's like all of Congress voted for that. Like, if that's what you're going to say you did, then like, why are people going to vote for you? And so it's about organizing. It's about messaging more than just, uh, you know, a hashtag resistance, I guess.
0: Agreed, yeah. Simon.
2: Yeah, just like focus locally, you know. That's what I can tell people, you know. I, I think that was nothing um, really woke me up to like social media a little bit more than, than when I went to Iowa and was knocking on doors and just realized how much these people who I'm talking to had... No idea what was, you know, trending on Twitter yesterday. Like they don't follow any of that stuff. Um, And those are the people, those are the real people. Those are the people we're trying to help, uh, you know, if we're socialists, if we're, you know, progressives. Um, These these are the people that we want to help. Those are the people we should be talking to.
0: And they're not—they're not reading, um, you know, Politico's playbook, and they're not reading yeah. Washington Post political pieces. Some people are sure, but so for lucky. the most part, they're reading their—they're lo- <laughs> reading their local papers. And so it's—it's mm. it's a very um, Tip O'Neill, "All politics is local," that famous line, right? Yeah. Jordan Simon, always a pleasure having you on. Uh, thanks for in, in, indulging in the uh, the strategy and messaging show. I felt like we had to have that conversation today. <laughs> All right. Thank you to everybody in the chat. Who do we have here? I'm so glad I put my glasses on. I was dying. My eyes were killing me. Uh, Justin Currens. Thank you for the love. Justin said, speaking of platforming each other, Robert Evans, Oregon Uprising reporter, Rojava, The Women's War, and Katie Johnson, or Cody Johnson, excuse me, Behind the Bastards, Some More News, and Worst Year Ever, Our are are great at debunking right-wing grifters like shapiro uh rubin and tim pool go check them out uh lee levin thanks for the love appreciate your take no prisoners position in the biden appointments thank you when appearing on mr building a moment of movement and a moment is a priority i had said uh on mr for those of you who didn't see that episode um last week in the majority report, they said, what leverage do we have right now in pressuring Biden? I said, the leverage is the moment. You know, he's entering Great Depression 2.0. And uh, it's like, I don't even, it's like, it's 2012 to them right now. I can't, I can't even, there's no reference point. It's like, it's 1996. Uh, so thanks for that, Lee Levin and Prairie Fire Kowalski from Nebraska, Prairie Fire. Uh, thanks for the love. Solid literally tons sold literally tons of grass recently and wanted to support the coffee fund thank you or put the money towards indoctrination programs that would be it um who else do we have here special thanks to harvey k who's been mixing it up in the live chat i love when harvey gets in there and he starts debating folks it's really engaging. And, and like if people have questions, Harvey chimes in. Sometimes they'll debate the people on air that we're interviewing. I love it. Uh, thanks to many doctors for tirelessly working those algorithms. And huge, huge, huge thanks to our moderator. Choken for single-handedly keeping that chat room troll-free. We will see you tomorrow. We have a great show. Uh, stay safe. Stay healthy. Be well. We'll see you then.